Amen. It's good for us to be reminded that we are in a spiritual battle. It's scripture at the top of that hymn. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word as we turn now to Genesis 36. Page 30 in the Blue Pew Bible. We'll read the entire chapter, Genesis 36. Hear God's word. These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Adah, the daughter of Elam the Hittite, Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth, and Adah, born to Esau, uh, sorry, and Adah bore to Esau Eliphaz, Basemath bore Ruel, and Aholibamah bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, and all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them, because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau. Ruel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, Kinaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabama, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau. The chiefs, Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kinaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son. Uh, the chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabama, Esau's wife. The chiefs Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs born to Aholabama, the daughter of Anah. 
Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir and the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Himam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shifo, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anna. He is the Anna who founded, found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Anna, Dishan and Aholabama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Chiran. These are the sons of Izar, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishan, Izar, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Eden, Edom, before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom. The name of his city was Dinhaba. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah, of Bozrah, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham, of the land of the Timonites, reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place. The name of his city being Avith. Hadad died, and Samla of Masrika reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shaul of uh, Rehoboth on the, Euph uh, on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died. And Belhanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. Belhanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his place. The name of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehatabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places by their names. The chiefs Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Aholabama, Elah, Pinan, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places and the land of their possessions. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> uh, this is one of those pa uh, passages of scripture that you uh, probably have not spent a lot of time reading. And I doubt that a lot of um, 
preachers have spent time preaching through uh, this passage on Esau's descendants. Uh, I was wondering, why did I make them stand through this whole thing? Uh, Maybe I didn't even need to read the entire thing. Uh, You may even wonder, why is this entire long genealogy even included in Scripture? But there uh, are riches in God's Word and every portion of His inspired Word if we take the time to mind them and meditate on them. As chapter 35 closes, the focus of God's Word is moving away from Jacob, and it's moving to Jacob's children. And especially the focus is going to zero in on Joseph. But first, before uh, the writer Moses moves on to that main story about the main line of the covenant as it's passed down from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses has some other things for us to think about here. Things for us to see about this other family line that runs in a very different direction. And that's what we're considering here, the line of Esau. Alexander White described Esau as a a rough, tough man. He writes about him, Esau was full of the manliest interests and pursuits. He was the very proverb of courage and success in the chase. He was rugged and brawny. His hand was full of skill, strength, and success. Esau's arrow never missed its mark. He was the pride of the camp as he came home at night with his traps and snares and bows and arrows laden with meat for his father's supper. Burned by the sun, dried by the wind, he was a prince of men. It's probably not far off from the mark. Esau was a a manly man indeed. He was, uh, seems like uh, a very hard-charging, I would say probably fun-loving hunting, fishing, warrior-type man. I always think of uh, what he would be like today. I imagine him just driving around in the biggest four-wheel drive you could imagine with guns and fishing poles. Sadly, that's about all there was to Esau. He lived for his own pleasure. That's how he's described here in Scripture. He did what he wanted to do, and he didn't care what anyone else thought, even his parents. He had strong appetites, and he lived to gratify them. That's what he was all about. But his interests were fleshly, earthly. His mind was earthbound. He wasn't interested in spiritual things. He thinks like 
most people today think. People who say, ah, don't bother me with thoughts of God and eternity, salvation. Just give me what I want in this life. That was Esau. We saw that when he sold his birthright like it was nothing, like it was garbage. Sold it for a bowl of stew. He didn't care about the covenant promises that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and which would be carried on through Isaac's heir, who Esau was. Esau, as the firstborn, was in line to be that heir, but he could not have cared less. All he cared about was satisfying his cravings. We see that worldly, fleshly attitude in his choice of women, too. He took uh, multiple wives, and if that wasn't bad enough, he took them from the idolatrous Canaanites. Marriage to the Canaanites was, of course, later forbidden for God's people. You remember how serious Abraham was about getting a good godly wife for Isaac. He made his servants swear that he wouldn't take a wife for him from among the Canaanites. So this was something that was already forbidden in this family. Abraham sent his servant all the way back to his old homeland on that long journey, trusting God to provide a good godly wife for Isaac. And he did provide one beautifully in Rebekah. But here Esau could have cared less about that heritage and about that desire of his parents. He spit in his father and mother's face by defiantly taking these Canaanite wives. He didn't care about maintaining truth and the purity of the faith of his fathers. He really didn't have those values. He trashed his godly heritage, just essentially threw it away. So much for walking with the God of Abraham. Esau wasn't about that. He didn't care about any of that. He's an example of a godless, reprobate person. Someone who just lives for this world. He was a strong-willed, powerful man, but his heart was hardened against God. This is a person who was headed for hell. He's the very picture of unbelief. And what's sad is that Esau was, was blessed in big ways, in serious ways with many blessings, temporal blessings, earthly blessings. He became very rich. He had possessions and power. But he was excluded from God's people. He excluded himself from them. He was without hope and without God in the world. Of course, God is sovereign. 
in this. God had chosen Jacob and rejected Esau. God is sovereign over all the affairs and destinies of all people. But Scripture is also very clear that man is responsible for his actions and for his response to God. We read in Hebrews 12 earlier, the writer says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, and that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing, but was rejected. Esau made his choices, and then he had to live with them. Who knows, maybe he repented later in life, but if he didn't, he died in his sin. This is a sober warning for us. Esau is. We need to consider our ways. What kind of life are you living? Are you a person who seeks after God and seeks godliness? Seeks eternal life and spiritual things? Or are you only seeking the things of this world, like Esau? Now, starting in verse 9, we see this long genealogy unfolding here, this genealogy of Esau's descendants. And God gave him many descendants. And this is a picture of God's blessing, all these many names and the people that came from them. These were God's blessings upon this man. God gave Esau people and land and power and possessions, great blessings. But these were not spiritual blessings. These people lived apart from the line of promise that flowed through Jacob. All these offspring and everything else that Esau had, they were wonderful earthly blessings. But again, those are the only kind of blessings that Esau cared about. And we see a, a principle here, a fearful principle. God gives us the kind of blessings that we seek after. If you only seek the things of this world, the good things of this world and this life, and that may be all that you ever have. But if you seek God, and you seek eternal life, and you seek eternal blessings, God will give you those things. And he gives them freely to us the moment we trust in Jesus Christ. He gives us salvation freely as a gift. He gives every spiritual blessing to those who have faith in his Son. But remember that. He really does answer our prayers. So think about what you pray for. 
Are you praying for earthly blessings only or spiritual blessings above all? Are you focused mainly in life on the things that you can see or are you focused on unseen, eternal things? What about for your family and for your children, the things you pray for for them? Do you only have earthly, worldly concerns for them? Things like health and wealth and success? Those things aren't wrong, of course. They need a measure of those things. But it is wrong if that's all you seek for them. And the ungodly people of this world only seek those things for themselves and for their children. But we need to seek better things. We need to seek things that will not pass away, things that will last. So we should mainly have spiritual concerns for ourselves and for others. Eternal life. Be praying for that for your children and for the people around you. Knowing God better and walking closer with Him. Those are the things that we need above all things. Temporal blessings are fine, but they shouldn't be your priority. Don't set your heart on those things that are passing away. If God gives those blessings to you and your family, be thankful. Praise the Lord for every good and perfect gift that he gives. But don't let those worldly things lead you astray from God and more important things, spiritual things. Affluence can do that. Being blessed with material things can often lead to spiritual poverty. So don't love those things of this world. As the Apostle John says, those things are blessings from God, but they only last a little while. Don't set your heart on them. Instead, seek the Lord and seek the things that will last forever. Well, then we see that Esau is the father of the Edomites. He took all his wives, we're told, and his possessions, and he settled far away from Jacob. Now, all those possessions and livestock that they had aside, he could have still stayed nearer to Jacob. He could have attached himself to Jacob. Instead, he goes far away from Jacob. He takes all his people and separates them from Jacob and the line of promise. And by doing that, Esau really set a precedent for future generations. He cut himself off from God and God's people. And he became a father of uh, a godless people who ultimately became the entrenched enemies of God and God's people, the enemies of Israel. You remember the Edomites. Five centuries 
later, after Esau's lifetime, when Moses and the Israelites were coming toward the promised land, the Edomites were the ones who refused Israel's peaceful request to pass through their territory. And later, King Saul had to fight them again in battle. And so did King David. And so there was this tension, this warfare between these people and God's people all along. And later still, during the time of the Babylonian invasion, these Edomites were still there. And guess what? They're still fighting against Israel. They actually helped the Babylonians plunder Israel and slaughter the Jewish people. And no wonder several of the prophets pronounced judgment on Edom. I think it probably all could be traced back to this moment when Esau pulled himself away and pulled all his people away from God's people. What's the lesson for us? I think in a nutshell, the lesson is that we need to think long and hard before we separate ourselves from the church. Young people especially, you'll be tempted to do that at times throughout your life. You need to know it's a deadly decision and it will have horrible, far-reaching, even generational consequences. Don't separate yourself from God's people. And in verses 31 to 39, then, we see this list of kings. Kings who reigned in Edom, we're told, before the Israelites had kings. These people had wealth, they had power, they had land, kings. And so, without serving God, Esau and Edom have all kinds of power in this world. Kingdoms. They have all kinds of status. They have territory. They have wealth. They have everything you could possibly want in a worldly sense. And you know, this worldly mindset was a temptation for the Israelites to follow later when they came into the land. Would they think like Esau and his descendants with all their worldly power, worldly possessions? Or would they trust in God and follow him? Remember, at this point, when they were reading Genesis for the first time, Moses was inspired by God's Spirit to write it. Those people had nothing yet, the people of Israel. They're still wandering in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. But they've got nothing yet. They've got no possessions. They were still looking forward to the promised land. So what a temptation it would have been for them to start thinking 
like this, to start just seeking earthly earthly things instead of trusting in God and seeking his spiritual blessings. And, of course, they did. They fell into that very same trap. Well, this is a temptation for God's people in every age. Will we just live for what this world offers? Or will we live by faith? Will we live in hope of glory? Looking for that heavenly promised land. And the far better things that God has for us. Far better than the very best things in this world. He is so good to us in this life, but far more so in the next. Don't envy the Esau's and the Edom's of this world. People of this world who have it all but have nothing beyond this life. That is no one for you to envy. God's people have the hope of glory. Even if they have very little in this life, we have everything for the rest of eternity. And the pleasures of this life are nothing compared to what God has in store for us. The psalmist in Psalm 16 says it in a, just a brief little nutshell. He says of God, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's going to be so much better than anything you know or experience in this life. Let me say one last thing about Edom and the Edomites. Do you remember that there's an Edomite that even shows up in the New Testament? Herod the Great was an Edomite. And Herod took that struggle between Jacob and Esau, between Israel and Edom, he took it to the next level. You remember what he did? He exterminated all the male babies of Bethlehem trying to kill the newborn Savior. So that's how Esau's descendants turned out. Not very good. Jacob and Esau, it seems, finally put aside their enmity later in life but they were still going in two very different directions spiritually. And they put their children, their offspring, on that path. And they put them on a collision course to be mortal enemies down through history. And you know what this is? This is not just tension between different people in the world. This is the same old spiritual battle that has been going on down through the ages since the garden, since the fall of man. This is the seed of the serpent 
fighting against the seed of the woman, trying to destroy her and her offspring. And we're still fighting that battle today, that spiritual battle. But take heart, people, because that battle, that war, rather, is already won. Our King, Jesus, has won it for us at the cross and through his resurrection. Esau could not have imagined what the future held for his descendants. I don't think he even began to think of how bad it was going to get for them and how bad they were going to become. What do you think he was thinking about? He was just making his ungodly choices for what he craved. He was just going after the gusto, the things he wanted in this world. But we get to see the outcome here, down through the ages. A terrible outcome for him and his offspring. It's a sober warning for us about the path that we choose to take. Will you seek the kingdoms of this world, the things that this world has to offer to you only, and be eternally lost? Or will you seek the Lord and trust in Him and follow Him and receive, as the writer of Hebrews says, a kingdom that will never be shaken. That's what we have to look forward to in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us to be those who walk by faith and not by sight. Teach us to cling to your word and to your Son. Teach us to set our eyes on the things that are above where he is and not on the things that are below. We pray that you'd change our hearts. Give us that spiritual mindedness that we need. Only you can give it to us. Change us and we pray that you'd strengthen us so that we would turn from worldliness and that we would live for you all our days until the end. Help us, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen.